Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a girlfriend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Happy 2020 friends. It's a new decade. It still is even in February. I thought it'd be fun to talk to a few friends about what life was like for them 10 years ago. How has their life changed? What did the year 2010 bring them and what has the last decade brought them? Also, we're going to find out what they hope for in the next 10 years. Today, my friend Erin Moon is joining me to talk about her last decade. Erin is someone who has been requested a dozen or more times to be a guest on the show, and she is a friend that I had actually never met in real life. Erin Moon is the COO of the Popcast Media Group and the resident Bible scholar for the Bible Bench. She's also a wife, a mom, and a Texas girl living in the Deep South. We look back today on Erin's last decade and how she went from a burnt-out Baptist to a nurtured worshiper in the Anglican Church. Maybe you're like me and you aren't familiar with the Anglican way. Or maybe you're like me and Aaron and you've been, as Aaron says, burnt bacon on the cookie sheet of church. Wherever you fall in this conversation, I know that you're going to appreciate Aaron's honesty as we look back on her last decade as a believer and how she shares with us the incredible graciousness of our father to restore her joy. Here is my conversation with Aaron Moon. Hello, Aaron, and welcome to the special edition of the happy hour called Your Last Decade. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I am excited to chat with you. We were talking before we started recording about how this is actually the first time we've ever met, uh, which is sad, I think, because I like you. Yes, but we have been adjacent. We have been adjacent to one another. We're like six degrees separation from each other. Yes, I used to work with your husband in like a camp, a youth camp context. Mm-hmm. And you know a lot, you have a lot of some of my favorite people at the Austin Stone, um, Brett Land. Brett Land. All-time faves. When Morris is there, I love those people. Aww, They're wonderful. This and is the best. they love you guys so much. Brett Land and his wife, Lindsay, are some of our favorite people, so... Good people. I remember Brett Land when he was but a but a mere a mere a wee babe. A wee babe. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a personal question, Aaron. How old are you? Yeah. I'm 36, uh, almost 37. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, I had someone on my show one time who uh, this is totally off subject, but I had someone. It's like when I interview people for a regular happy hour, I do ask them, is there anything off limits? Because, you know, who wants to be the interviewer that's like, so tell me about your sister. And they're like, right. off limits. But they wrote in that off limits was their age. Oh, oh no. I love I being know. old. It's the best thing ever. Well, I that just really intrigued me. And so my question off air to them was like, where's this from? And she just said she didn't want to be labeled as too young or too old. And so she just didn't like talking about it. Oh. And I was like, I respect that, but wow, I've never heard that before. So way to go. Yeah, I do respect yeah. it. I do respect it. I like that. I like a lady who knows That's what exactly she right. Okay, you're, so you're 36. My point with this was you mentioned student life camps, which we did student life when Aaron and I were first married. We've been married almost 19 years. Here's what's happening to Aaron lately. My Aaron. Oh, this is confusing. Oh my gosh. My Aaron Ivy. I know. <laughs> Here's what's been happening to him lately is there will be people in their late 20s who come up to him and are mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, you're from Spur 58. You led worship at my youth camp. And he's like, mm. and they're like married with children and everything. And we're like, oh my gosh. With children, yes. they have a mortgage. <laughs> yeah, it is very unsettling. It is highly That's unsettling. That's the stage of life that you and I have entered into where we now have people who are having children that we <sighs> minister to them. So welcome to it. I'm in my 40s now and love it. So anyhow, yeah. okay, this is your last decade, Aaron. So 26 
to 36 is what we're going to talk about today. Okay, I'm so excited. What a what a big decade for me personally. It is it is a big decade. Before we jump into that, just introduce yourself with your family and your what your job you currently have right now. We'll jump back to being when you were 26. Yeah, that sounds great. So um, my name is Erin Moon. I am a wife of one, a mother of three. I have a 10-year-old, an almost seven-year-old, and a two-year-old. Uh, he was bonus. Uh, we, we were not expecting <laughs> him to come in, but he's great. We love him. Uh, and he's I, like the bonus Jonas. He's he just there. A, he is a bonus Jonas. <laughs> He there's a lot of estrogen at our home, so he's like, "What exactly did I walk into?" I'm not super right. sure, but we <laughs> love him. He's great, uh, and I am the COO of the Podcast Media Group, and I am also the resident Bible scholar on the Bible Binge podcast. Girl, you have your resume down packed. I like that. Well, you know, I you know I spin a lot of plates. I got to figure out <laughs> which ones are going to fall so that my kids don't go to too much therapy. That's, I love it. That's I love what it. So figure out. If you're listening, if you've been listening to my show for a while, uh, the podcast is a um, podcast that I recommend often, and I am a, a listener of and listen to the Bible binge as well. But Jamie Golden is one of the hosts there, along with Knox McCoy. But Jamie Golden has been on the Happy Hour, so just giving everyone a little bit of context here as to how we know each other. Okay, Erin Moon, yes, take us back to when you were 26. What did your life look like? Well, my life was, we were, I was pregnant with my first child and we were searching. Um, I grew up Southern Baptist um, and I know you'll see, um, I think you have some similarities here, but I grew up Southern Baptist, like to the point so deeply Southern Baptist that my mother's water broke on the fourth stanza of I Surrender All. And that (laughs) is- This is is the best. That is my like (laughs) entry into this world. So I was deeply involved in everything at my home. Church. I grew up in the same town my whole life, and I went to the same church my whole life until I moved to Birmingham. But I was in youth group. I did GAs. I was in church choir. I went on mission trips. I did like deep, intensive studies about Jehovah's Witnesses so I could, you know, learn how to preach the gospel to the, you know, it was very, very, uh, very Southern Baptist, VBS, the whole shebang. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a huge part of my life. And when I came to Birmingham and I got married and my husband, he was also Southern Baptist. And we were at a mega church with a preeminent, like the next big thing in pastoring was our pastor when we were at um, the church that we were at. And so we were just very deeply involved in this. Um, we had just recently been rejected from the uh, the Southern Baptist Mission Sending Agency to be uh, to be missionaries. So we were we were in a bad place. <laughs> we were we were really you were in a difficult searching place. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned the camp organization that we worked for. I worked for them full time. I did a lot of parachurch uh, ministry production. I'm a theater major. So I was big into like the creative aspects of um, worship production and that type of thing. And um, I was, I was very, very a part of this type of seeing how the church worship sausage got made, as it were. And it was starting to take a toll um, on everything. We felt like, you know, uh, we were like Southern Baptist bacon that had been left in the oven too long. And we were just, we weren't burnt. Right. We were just too crispy. And it, we weren't uh-huh. good. Like it just wasn't, a, we were being scraped off the plate. Um, that metaphor will end at some point. But that was how, <laughs> that was how we felt. And we were just in a weird place. We were about to have our first child. And we were kind of like, we got to, 
we got to figure this out. Like, is this where we're supposed to be? Is this what we're supposed to be doing? Is this the place we're supposed to kind of plant ourselves? And we had a friend who was an itinerant preacher. And he, when he said, when I'm in town, I go to this tiny Anglican church. It meets in the chapel on the seminary campus in town. And he was like, listen, the preaching is fine. Uh, It's not like a big church with a lot of systems. He goes, but I feel so nourished there. Mm. And like that word nourished was just like captivated me. And so, okay, we, so I, I have a question for you real quick, Aaron, before you jump into that. Yeah. My, as I'm listening to you, I think that what I keep asking myself is how did you discern between, because I, we know you made your jump from Southern Baptist to Anglican. Yeah. Um, and I love that you said you were nourished. Isn't that what we want? Oh my gosh. And when you said that, yes. I just kind of like sighed like, yes. Yes. Here's my question for you. How did you and your husband discern that you needed to move denominations? And how did you not discern that like, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, did you ever question your faith? Like, did you ever question, is this really what I believe? Does that make sense what I'm asking? Yes, it absolutely makes sense. I think that for me, because I had, my parents gave me such a firm foundation in faith. And I, and I want to be clear that just because this is my journey, for lack of a better word, doesn't mean that I don't respect the fact that a lot of people have been deeply hurt by any number of denominations. Mm-hmm. And that this is not their particular way that they're going to heal. Mm. And I I respect that and I understand that. But I think for me, it was always a very, um, I always felt very connected to a church home. I It was kind of just my, not social centerpiece in a bad way, but in a way like that's where I got my community. Yeah. My community groups came from these places. That was one of the ways that I connected with the people around me. And so for me, it was almost like when I was a Southern Baptist, a lot, I love so many people who are Southern Baptists. Mm-hmm. I have no grudges against them, but it was like I was looking at a diamond and I could only see one facet of the diamond. And it was, you know, Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit. Like I could see them through this lens. And it was, and when I, when we went to worship at the Anglican church for the first time, that diamond kind of snapped over mm. and I saw Jesus through another facet. I saw that there are different ways to worship him. I saw that there are different um, different ways and different teachers through this particular denomination. So for me, it was less like I have always found a home with Jesus. Like if any, if things are confusing, if things are frustrating, if I am grieving, if I am in mourning, if I am in all of these situations, like things that would test faith, I don't find any comfort in turning away from Mm. him, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And I know that that is not the case for some people because they have been deeply hurt by the institutions that claim to represent him. But that's been my personal experience. So I knew that while I I think our I thought our time as Southern Baptists were coming to an end that I knew that there was something else yeah. out there. And I think the invitation is always to come mm-hmm. closer. Like God wants us to come closer to him. And I think that that was being hindered when I was I was distracted, I was frustrated in this particular denomination and so turning to that next facet was the right was the right thing for us. I love it. Okay, so your friend mentions, "Hey, I've got this Anglican church that I visit. Um it's different like I'm sure he was like it's different than what you're used to and you <laughs> he was like, you need to be prepared that it's very different. Yeah. I was like, okay, whatever. So you That's go fine. and you feel 
nourished is the word you said. And I love that. So what was that experience like for you and your husband? We just... It was as if the way that I'm programmed, all my nuances, all of the things that make me me, it is as if I kind of aligned. And the way that we worship and the church calendar and the the routines that are not rote, but they are filled with meaning when they are done from a heart of worship, mm-hmm. they kind of click, it all kind of clicked into place for me. And I loved the liturgy. I loved the, you know, we stand to read uh, the gospel together. You know, they moved to the center of the room. It was a very physical service. It kept my attention. And that's something that was important to me. I had come to know exactly what to expect in previous kinds of settings like this, these previous kind of worship settings. And so it was very surprising for me and it, it was engaging. And, um, you know, it was, it was odd to go from, you know, a mega church that I was really comfortable in to this very tiny church where people are crossing themselves and we're baptizing infants. It was just like, this is new for me. I don't know how to take this. But, but our pastor and um, his wife, who was a deacon, invited us into their home and just sat with us for hours and and answered our questions and talked to us about things. And they were so kind and caring. And their whole goal, they were like, we we want you to find the place that you can use your gifts and that God wants you to be at. We hope it's here because we like you. But if it's not, you know, we'd love to help find the right place for you. It was just, it was just a completely different experience from anything I had ever experienced except for when I was a child. And our pastor and his wife, they called uh, me and my brother their practice grandkids. And they were just so deeply involved in our lives and they were so kind to us. And it felt similar to that. Yeah. And I thought, oh, well, this is refreshing. Mm-hmm. I haven't experienced this in a really long time. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. 
So for the last decade, you have spent your time in the same church? That's right. Yes, we have. Uh, okay, I love this. Okay, but I have some more questions. Yeah. So you you go and you feel this nourishment and all these things. I guess my question, because I know that, like you said, there's no way that you could take your experience and put that on anyone else's experience. This is just Aaron Moon's experience. Yeah. But did you struggle with the fact of, am I leaving something that like you grew up in this one denomination and now you're leaving for another one. Did you struggle at all with feeling like you were maybe letting your parents down or how do I change, you know, when I'm 26 years old? Did you have to deal with that? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, my dad, when my dad first came to visit, he took our order of service and brought it back to our, like the pastor at my home church, which is where he still goes. And he was like, hey, I think this is okay, but will you check this out for me? And, uh-huh. you know, like my, uh, my grand- His dad's like, I got to check care. I got to take care of my baby I got to make sure everything's okay here. Like I, yeah. I think anytime you leave something, there's a mourning involved. And um, yeah. there is, there's pain associated with that. I, I frequently, as my daughter is getting, my oldest daughter is getting older, I frequently mourn that she is not having the kind of like big, fun, exciting youth experience that I had, like youth group experience. Mm, um, you yeah. know, my grandparents still call my children's baptisms baby dedications. Like that's right. not what they are. And they're like, we're just going to keep calling it that because we like that better. So, you know, yeah. there is like this, there was never a big fight. I always want to be careful because my parents, they were so, they are so wonderful and they're such wonderful people. And I never want them to think that leaving the thing that they taught me was a indication that they did a bad job mm. um, or an indication that they were less than. I think it's just a growing and yeah. it's just different and that's okay. I mean, my dad was like, if this is the way you're going to rebel against us, then I guess it's fine. <laughs> we'll like, take it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you're like, okay, good, dad. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that you know, right now we can we can speak to the elephant in the room that there is a lot of people who are walking through hurt that's been done to them through, like you said earlier, this institution of church. And so that's why I asked you that question of, did you ever think about leaving the faith? Because I know that can be a, such a hard struggle for people who have been hurt by something that is so dear to them. And so I fully respect and honor everything you've said. And so I would actually like for you to speak into like, if there's someone listening and they have been hurt from the church, like how would you encourage them uh, to maybe not give up their faith, to maybe try like you did, to try to find somewhere where you felt nourished? Can you speak to that person that might be listening? Oh yeah, I think, you know, no place is perfect. I find a lot of, like I'm frequently frustrated with parts of my denomination and my church body. It's definitely not a perfect fit. I don't think that that uh, exists. I don't think that it should exist. But me having a theological pressure point with my priest is different than someone being abused mm-hmm. in a, a in a in a system of power. So if you if that is you, I encourage you to one talk to someone, talk to a therapist, talk to someone who is versed in church trauma. That is real. Um, I wish it wasn't, but it is so real. And these are people who can help you navigate that and you're not going to feel alone. Um, I also, there are tons and tons and tons of ways to get connected to a faith community that's not necessarily walking back into a church and feeling traumatized over and over again. There are lots of churches that, you know, operate in homes, or there are lots of churches that do small groups that are, you know, off campus. I think that's really helpful. I think 
I think even, and another part of this is that your church experience is not the whole of your faith practice. Mm-hmm. Um, it's part of it, and it's a communal part, and I think that is important. But also, you have a personal faith that should exist you know, outside of the church walls. And um, that is something that I think is healthy to pay attention to when you are when you are having a difficult time or you have been traumatized by the church at large. So good. So, so good. And I appreciate you speaking into that because I know that there are a lot of people who are walking through that right now. Um, you mentioned something earlier where you said one of the things that you really appreciate about your new church was the church calendar. And I um, always kind of giggle at myself because growing up, I grew up Southern Baptist as well. Growing up, I would hear the word Lent and think, oh, that's what Catholics do. Like this is this is like, I don't, yes. I don't do that. Thank goodness. I don't have to give anything up, right? Like, <laughs> no that sacrifice, Jesus. Yeah. So um, it wasn't until in my last decade, actually, um, that I started to understand a little bit more about the church calendar. And by no means do I fully grasp it, understand it. Uh, but I, you know, like this last year for Lent, I did, you know, sacrifice and give up something. And it was a beautiful practice for me. And so I know that in your last decade, that's become important to you so important that you actually have taught something about it. So talk to me about how the church calendar has kind of changed your life a little bit. Oh my gosh. It has given me so many gifts. I feel, um, I think when I was younger, I spent a lot of time like Muppet arm flailing, trying to figure out like what my quiet time should look like. Am I praying correctly? And there was like this pressure to like, you need to be doing Oswald Chambers for 20 minutes every day. Mm -hmm. And you know, you need to have this checklist. And I, and I think, um, and then I think we threw a lot of shade at the checklist because uh, spending time with God is not a box to be ticked. And I understand the heart behind that statement, but I think when your heart is in the right place, the routine and the the repetition of prayer, of uh, reading, of all of these things can be really helpful. And that is what the church calendar has given me. It's like an anchor for me. Mm. It allows me to kind of, um, kind of go, it gives me markers throughout the year to say like, I can hold sadness here. I can hold joy here. Like you were talking about in Lent, no one's asking me to be happy and cheery. We're supposed to be somber. We're supposed to be introspective. So it's like you get these guardrails to experience certain feelings. And that is so so helpful in our actual bodies to say i'm i'm going to like take a take 47 days and i'm going to not think happy things <laughs> like, mm. or that's not going to be like the the main crux of my thing i'm going to like introspect and i'm going to like self examine and i'm going to ask god and i'm going to be quiet like that is so real for us and you know Israel's greatest sin was forgetting. And and I love these feast days and these um, these seasons that we enter into in the church calendar because they help us to remember the things that God is doing. It helps us to mark time in such an interesting way. And it's given me a vocabulary um, on how to on how why I'm feeling a certain way. These rhythms, they connect me with God and those feelings. And it's not magical. It's not a cure-all. Um, but it helps me also to participate. Um, it's been such a good way for me to say, okay, like here's Lent. What we're going to do here is we're going to feast. We're going to fast. We're going to do acts of service. And we're going to focus on that. And I can go, all right, well, okay, mm-hmm. I can do that. I can yeah. do that. And it's, and it's this communal collective kind of movement through the years that I have found to be very, very life-giving. It sounds life-giving when you're talking about it. And I, I love the way that you 
have put words to how that has affected your soul. And and I love the way that you've listened to the Lord through all of this is that you have you're you're getting fed and you're and you're learning new things. Can you tell me a little bit about the Lent study you just did cuz I was setting you up for that Aaron and you didn't. I know you're being humble, but tell me about this. <laughs> I set you up and you didn't do it. Here we go. Thank you. You're right. I did. I like you you threw a perfect pitch and I whiffed it. I'm sorry. Um but I uh, I've written a Lent guide for this year. Um, and it is mainly, uh, it's it's on Ecclesiastes because Ecclesiastes gets real. It's like, we're going to talk about the hard stuff. People that say the Bible is just like fluffy and floaty, they have not read Ecclesiastes. It right. is a tough book. It's been tough to be in. Um, but I think, I think we have a culture right now that is yearning for realness. And so the Lent guide that I wrote this year is on, It's it kind of talks about the basics of Lent. If you've never done Lent before, if you're like, I am a Southern Baptist, I just left the potluck <laughs> and I don't understand what this is. Like I'm supposed to wash, walk around with ashes on right. my head. Like it kind of gives a primer about that. And then it just walks you through um, Ecclesiastes. And then during Holy Week, we start um, looking at the ways that Jesus moved um, in his last week on earth. But using the gospels, to answer the questions that come Mm. from Ecclesiastes is I feel like a really deeply needed thing. I needed it. And so that's why I wrote it. Like I look around at the world and I'm like, hey, this is this is problematic. Uh, we we don't have a we don't have a lot going for yeah. us right now, and Ecclesiastes says the same thing. Has been saying it for you know such a long time, and then but looking across time to the Gospels and saying how Jesus answers all of those deep painful questions that we have about our own existence. Mm. When does Lent start? Lent start this year, February twenty sixth. That feels early. Is that early or am I off? It is. It is very early. Okay. It usually is a little bit later, but you know we had Thanksgiving early, and that has just really messed. That has up. messed everybody up, hasn't it? I'm like, <laughs> yes, it really has. Can we not just move things around? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Be okay, great. so February. Sorry. <laughs> yes. Um, where do people get this Lent study? They can get it on my website at erinhmoon.com slash store. It's right there. And you I can click love on it. it. I love it. I love that you've created this resource for so many people um, just to spend that time like getting closer to the Lord through the sacrifice of Jesus. And so thank you for making that. I'm so excited. Okay, I have one more thing that I got to ask you about because I know in the last 10 years, 26 to 36, you've also changed mm-hmm. careers. So yes. you now, could you ever have imagined... A, that you'd be at an Anglican church and B, that you'd be working for a media group. So tell me how you ended up here. Yeah, so I, like I said, I uh, worked in parachurch ministry. I bounced around a couple places. We had an unfortunate uh, eight months in Nashville at one point where I did have a baby, but then we came right back to Birmingham. And through that process, um, I met Jamie Golden. I met Knox McCoy and just got to be internet friends with them because that's the thing that you do now. You meet people on the internet and you become friends with them. And um, they started the podcast and I was just a fan. Did you know them before the podcast? Well, yes, because Jamie and I actually, I am technically the first wife of the podcast because Jamie and I had a, a short-lived podcast called The Golden Moon Buffet, uh, which is a great name, I don't think really. I even knew this. Well, it's a deep cut. It's a very deep cut, but they don't exist. The episodes don't exist anymore. The Golden Moon. Pla- that's yes. beautiful, guys. I like that. Yeah. Yes. So, um, but we were friends and then Knox and I actually wrote a screenplay together and we just liked doing... I just liked them. I liked doing stuff with them. I thought they were really smart and creative. So anyway, move. I moved back to Wait, Birmingham. side point. You wrote oh, yeah. a screenplay? 
Yes. Erin Moon. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that's really cool. Like, I don't think I've ever, mer- I'm, that's never come up in conversation with anyone before. Uh, I wrote this screenplay that one time. No, I've never heard that before. So well, that's awesome. It was fun. It was fun. And it's good because of Knox, because he's a really great writer. So, oh. um, but we moved back to Birmingham and uh, they just, the podcast decided that they were going to start doing live events. And I have a long history of producing live events. And I said, hey, I know y'all don't know what you're doing. Like, you're very good at your job, but this is a different thing. Can I help? I'd love to help. And they uh, paid me uh, with a bottle of uh, mid-shelf tequila. It was very, it was nice. Okay, I like that. Um, Mid-shelf. That's a good definition. (laughs) It was not top shelf. It was mid. Um, And then um, I just kind of started working for them more. And um, I have a, I'm like a weird Swiss army knife. I have a lot of skills that I'm mediocre at. And so I have a weird kind of way that I can help people in this way, videos and editing and writing and that sort of a thing. And so anyway, I was writing Bible studies for um, a small publishing company here. And they asked me if I wanted to come on full time. And I was like, I don't know, that seems like a risk. But um, I did last year and it has been, it's been a lot of fun. We've had a really great time and it's a, it's a great job. We work really hard. Um, but it's, it's a really good, flexible, very, very strange thing to have to tell people that you do. I love it so much. Now, do they pay you in dollars or tequila still? No, I do get paid real American dollars, which is nice. (laughs) That was helpful for taxes and my husband demanded Only so much tequila can make you work someplace. So yeah. (laughs) That's right. You can only have so much mid-shelf tequila, so... Yeah. Oh, well, I love that. I love what you guys are doing over there. And I know you're a big part of it. And so it's been fun to to see you take that transition and that journey into doing that. Erin, um, I'm so glad that we met, you know, recording a podcast like this. We should see each other in real life someday. Let's do it. I, I want to come to Austin because I really am I'm obsessed with Uncommon Goods, the thrift store there. So maybe I'll see you when I come. Um, when I, you know, I'm I'm very biased, but I do think it's one of the best cities in the country. So and I've been trying to get back to Texas, like live there ever since I moved to Birmingham. So where are you originally from in Texas? Uh, the Panhandle in Canyon, Texas. <gasps> That's how you know Brett Land. That is, I, I, yes, that is how I know Brett Land. Oh, yay, yay, yay. Um, and through student life. Um, but yes. yeah, Panhandle. The funny thing about the Panhandle is, and this, no one's going to care about this conversation you and I are about to have, <laughs> but I feel like in Texas, people like disregard the Panhandle and forget that it's even there. Oh, that is 100% true, but we like it like that because we don't want anybody. Oh. Like, we're, we're like, we're good. Thanks. We have the best Tex-Mex. We have the best scenery. You're good. Have a good time. Dallas and Austin. Bye. It's so funny. We'll talk about all the areas of Texas. I'm like, oh yeah, and there's the Panhandle. I don't know. I've never been there. <laughs> there's the weird Panhandle. It really is a beautiful place and it has lovely people. Oh, oh so good. Okay, Aaron, thank you so much for talking about the last 10 years. I've really, really been encouraged your journey through finding um, a local church community that, that you and your husband and your family can just kind of flourish in. And the fact that you have encouraged all of us that are listening to look for that and that to not hold, you know, things so tightly that you're not willing to look for a place that you can also be nourished. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, thank you, thank you for having me. It was so much fun. Last question about Southern Baptist. Did you do Bible drill? Oh yeah, for sure. Okay, you didn't mention it earlier as I was trying to see if you were at a real Southern Baptist church because that I was <laughs> you're like, right. you were I like, I'm so sorry. Are you <laughs> an actual Southern Baptist? You did not do Bible drill. Exactly. Okay, so I did Bible drill. That's how I am like so, and now Aaron, this is so, again, everyone, we've lost everybody. I already said goodbye, but here we are. <laughs> 
I have children. I have four children, Aaron. And the other day I asked them where a book in the Bible was and they did not know where it was. Their dad's a pastor. Their mom does Christian ministry and they didn't know. And I thought, dear Lord, I have totally- failed. We have failed. Could you think, are there still Bible drill like organizations out there? I feel like we should bring it back. We should, because that's how I know it was so, like, it was like, it's so weird when you think about it and when you explain to people who didn't do it. But also, as weird as it was, I like had so many things like put into my memory and things like, and so oh, yeah. we can joke about it now. But man, thank goodness, thank God for Bible drill, right? But it's kind of funny. But oh man, I was aggressively bad at Bible <laughs> drill, like just so trash at it. But oh. it did teach me many things. <laughs> yes, many things that we learned. Um, okay, all joking aside, thank you uh, for coming on and talking to us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. All right, you guys, I loved hearing how even in the midst of Aaron and her husband's burnout, that their faith was not in jeopardy and they were proactive in pursuing the rest needed to remain close to God. The body of Christ is such a powerful and beautiful family. It was so great to learn more about the Anglican church, how the liturgy and church calendar have been sources of encouragement to Aaron and her family. In fact, I want to let you know, we talked about this on here, but you can grab a downloadable copy of Aaron's Lent Guide. And you should, you guys, it's an excellent resource to add to your worship rhythm as you get ready for Easter. You can grab your own copy at erinmoon.com slash store or head on over to jamieivy.com. Find our show notes. Everything's there. Friends, thanks for listening to this special edition of the Happy Hour, Your Last Decade. Our hope in all of these shows is that you too can reflect on your last decade. Whether you were 23 years old 10 years ago or you were 65 or 12, look back and see what God has done in your life and where he has brought you, how you've persevered, how you've screwed up, what you would do differently and what you are so stinking proud of. Also, looking back always causes me to look forward. What do you hope to see it happen in your next decade? Today's show is edited by Chris with Podshaper and organized by Lindsay Sweeney. The music is developed for the show by Matt Graham and show notes are written by Aki Slockers. We'd love it if you enjoyed the show, if you'd share it with your friends. Word of mouth is the number one way people find out about the podcast and we thank you ahead of time for that. Next week is Valentine's Day, and we've got a special singles edition for you all. Kelly Stamps joins me, and we chat about her singles day. It's an event that she's hosting on Instagram. It happens on February 15th. You're going to love her heart for singles and how God took a crazy idea in her heart 10 years ago that has led to over 20 couples getting engaged. I'm not even kidding. And married. Yes, some of them got married. I promise you're not going to want to miss this super fun conversation. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.